Welcome to Somebody Date Jen and Kyle, the podcast where two people try to pursue and succumb to love. I am Jen Sanford, and this is Kyle Marshall, and we are two people that have nothing in common but the belief that the pursuit of love is unnecessarily lonely. We're stronger together, and this is the podcast space where we do exactly that. Come together but not in a sexual way. We're not that kind of podcast. At least not yet. Uh, we should also mention <laughs> that we are completely unqualified to offer advice, and that should never be forgotten. Luckily today, we're going to have a, a, an expert that can actually add in actual professional advice. Yeah. So I, one of the things that we found was very popular and resonated with uh, people who go to our website or who engage in our social media was what were going to be the thoughts on mental health or mental illness. And we had outstanding response in terms of the thought that people had questions. And you and I were like, well, we're genuinely outside of our depth at this point. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we brought in an expert. But, you know, I think that this issue of, of mental health really does not get its due. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it's still so stigmatized in society. You know what I was thinking about this morning is Kim Kardashian. Okay. Tell me more. You know, <laughs> Like I'm not a huge Kim Kardashian fan. I don't. I'm not sure her legacy. You have is, all of her apps on your phone, though. I know this. Stop it! I do not. Is like I'm not sure if her legacy will be one that enriched the female experience. But I do think it's important to note that Kim Kardashian is a successful businesswoman, mm -hmm. and she is married to a high-profile man in Kanye West, who has clear mental health issues. Like it's clear that aside from the the the, the creative power that he has and the family dynamic and the four kids they're raising is that she is really in a high stakes relationship with a, with a man whose mental health is really a quintessential element of their relationship. And I've really watched how she, she's tried to manage that in the public space. And my God, that cannot, that cannot be easy in a, in a media landscape where people are quite merciless. I feel like this is the part where I break in and do like, I'm gonna let you finish Jen, but I have something really important <laughs> to tell you. But I, I mean, that is kind of like the setup I want to do here. I mean, I, have seen over the last few decades the improvement i think of people discussing mental health uh whether it's on twitter on television wherever you generate your news and, and information from because when i was growing up like this was just not talked about like anxiety no. depression that kind of stuff that was something that you might talk about going to a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist with but that was never like openly discussed amongst people and one of the things i think has been a net benefit especially when i got into my 20s and early 30s it seemed like more people were willing to share their stories about that um, being the youtube person that i am i remember that being one of the biggest positives of early youtube was people talking about their own mental health challenges and what they did to get better sort of thing you started not to feel so lonely and was like oh other people are struggling with this same thing like I, I thought i was the only person who had to deal with this i think the more stories that are shared of that are only a good thing for us as a society yeah no i i totally think creating a community around it is vital you know when i was when i was married in my early 20s you know i suffered terribly with anxiety I think it was part and parcel because I was in the deep end of this, of a marriage and mm. there was so much pressure to be successful. And I didn't really know what Jennifer's brand wife was going to be. Like I, I did have a good supportive partner to help me through my anxiety, but I remember his cousin had what I would feel comfortable to label as an amateur as a, as like a breakdown and mm. had to get real care. And I really watched my husband's family say, like, well, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to address it. We're not going to, we're just going to leave it alone. And I remember thinking, like, what do we just pretend he died when he's not here? Like, I don't, right. I think maybe this would be a little bit more fruitful and supportive if we talked about it and we created a community around this person. And it totally jacked up my anxiety because I got thinking, Oh my God, if, if I can't hold this in check, I will be the next one ostracized from the pack. Right. And I remember thinking how incongruent that felt at a time where I really do feel like we've become more comfortable discussing, you know, our mental health. And so I think it's really important, Kyle, don't you agree that we bring this issue of mental health to, to this dating landscape? Because name a person that you know, whether it's a friend or a family member who hasn't been in a relationship with someone where mental health has been a topic. It's oh, yeah. been an element. Whether it's that person that they're dating specifically or someone in their family, like it, it affects literally everyone, whether it's friend, family themselves. There's somewhere in that relationship circle that 
you're going to be dealing with this. And sometimes it can be a tricky thing to navigate through, right? Uh, Especially if you're starting that relationship of being like, what is okay or not okay to discuss? Like, how do I handle this as their support system? How do they help support me in response? Like, there's a whole bunch of issues that uh, goes in with this. Totally. Totally. So this week, it's going to be a little bit different. This week, it's all about relationships and mental health. We want to keep it open. And so we just asked you to share your questions and your stories on this topic. And boy, did you deliver this week. It's just all questions from the fishbowl. And we've got a special guest to help get us there. On our phone call right now, we have a great expert to help us out. Registered psychologist Maria Schmidt is here because you know what, Jen, much like the bedroom, we know our limits. So we're going to have to bring in some help. Uh, Welcome, Maria. Hi, thank you. So happy to be here (laughs) and not in the bedroom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Let's be super clear. Yeah. Jen Um, and I have our pajamas on, but you do not have to. That's right. That's right. As we mentioned, we're just taking questions from the fishbowl today and we've got some great questions. So Maria, if you're ready, we'll just dive in. So Lori writes, I had depression and I've worked so hard to manage it. My depression has been a real problem in my life. Two boyfriends have broken up with me saying they can't handle the times when I get really low. I'm worried I'm destined to be alone. What do I do and how do I manage my depression while trying to find my soulmate? That is a really good question. And, and part of me wants to answer Lori directly and also just, you know, to everybody that's listening in, in regards to this, because what I pay attention to in that question is Lori's longing for love, like that recognition inside mm-hmm. of herself that she has this ability to love and desire to love. And there's ultimately something bigger inside of her that might be bigger than the depression itself. The tricky thing about depression is that it is a preoccupation that we have that gets us to feel unworthy and to help us recognize that there's something not good enough about ourselves. And I don't have to go into all the reasons why people do that. It's just something that's part of, to some degree, I hate to say it, the human condition. That we are through our upbringing, we have all of these pieces about ourselves that need some attention. So I think there's something that tells me that her depression is protecting her a little bit. It's part of that, like, wow, who is depression? When it speaks for you and tells you that you're destined to be lonely and you're not connecting well with these past boyfriends, there's something about that that tells me that Lori knows a lot about what it means to love and what it means to lose love. And those are two sides of the same coin. You can't love somebody without knowing at some point there's going to be some loss involved and loss of of not just them if something changes, but loss of ourselves too. And so there's a big shift that happens in there. Obviously, there's a recognition of how important it is to love yourself. And that would be where I would like to start with Lori is a bit about what that means to actually accept herself and know what that depression is really about for her. Yeah, this one hits really close to home uh, for me because I kind of oscillate between these two extremes. I want some in my life. I want to build this connection. And then like, I don't deserve this. This is never going to happen. So, you know, you go swing wildly back and forth. But I love what you just said there, like loving someone. You can't love someone without knowing that there's going to be some loss involved. I think that's such a key thing to tap into. So powerful. Let's say it wasn't Lori writing in, but one of her boyfriends writing in. Mm -hmm. If you are in a relationship with someone who uh, has depression, what is the best way to support them in their depressive episodes? Well, I think that there's a big piece of where we have to recognize mental health has a lot to do with our entire being. And so if I can do just a little quick recognition of, I think about it as a snowman. And I talk Mm. to all of my people that I connect with about this, that there's a snowman ball that's the biggest one that we create. And it's the one that's connected to the ground. And it's the most sturdy. And if we can think about that as our bodies, our bodies contain all of those experiences and ways that we connect in, in a bigger way to our wider world. Then the second ball that we create is the one about our heart and our emotions and how we relate to people and and how that's you know kind of up there in this next level of just height and awareness of ourselves. And then the final ball that we place is the one that's going on our heads. And if anybody can imagine, as I'm talking, like I'm using my hands, and you know, they, there's this smaller ball, and it's the last one to figure things out, and it's the last one to really appreciate and know why we do what we do. So there's a sense that I want to just put in here right away that we have to trust our bodies and our emotions, but our society depends solely on our minds. 
And that's where mm-hmm. depression gets into this funny field of, you know, what's happening in the brain is her brain's actually protecting her. The brain is about survival and saying, I don't want to lose love and I don't want to lose a sense of, of security and safety. So it's hard to be vulnerable with people and to do that. And so when you let the brain make those decisions, unfortunately, it's kind of at the cost of these other two elements of who we are. And if I can just add in there, there's also a spiritual element. If I can go with the idea of snowman, every snowflake is within the body and the heart and the mind. And so ultimately, I want you to see that there's also a way of that we're connected to everybody else. And so that snow that we're making ourselves, you know, through those different pieces, everybody else has as well. And everyone has their own relationship with those. And so that's where there's a recognition that if you're helping someone with that, the best way is to help them know themselves through your experience of you relating to them and saying, oh, this is what I do. This is how I connect to the world. This is how I understand myself and what I feel inside. These are the ways that I connect to my environment. That's actually huge because believe it or not, so much of depression has so much to do with this idea that we need to have the integration or alignment, if we can call it that, the snowman piece that the balls aren't all separate and disjointed, like they're together and they're congruent. And so how to help somebody come back in alignment is kind of key. And let's start with just the idea of physical, you know, we need nutrition and we need exercise and we need sleep, you know, and then from there, you know, what does it look like to communicate in that middle ball? So as you hear, I have lots to say about all these different elements, but it's always the simplest things that we're talking about in psychology, you know, dating, like it could go so complex, but it's really sometimes so fundamentally simple. So many of the questions that we had, had that same veneer that Mm -hmm. Kyle's talking about, about support. Here's one I want to pull out uh, from Jules, who writes, for the last six months, I've been dating a woman with terrible anxiety, especially in social settings. It's everything I can do to make her come out with me or hang out with my friends. And sometimes when she does, it's terrible for her, then terrible for me, and ultimately not worth it. I feel like everything I'm doing isn't helping. And her question is, how can I support my girlfriend? Because I really love her. What's interesting about that one is that when we look at social anxiety in general, there's a recognition that there is so much that you're paying attention to. You're hypervigilant. So mm. you think that that person turning their head over there to talk to somebody else was a rejection of you, you know, or that somehow that, you know, because you didn't feel good about yourself, you know, you naturally gravitate towards those faulty assumptions. So if I can just speak there to this idea of how we can help each other by slowing down what's actually happening and recognizing what is actually a threat. And then from that, that recognition, is it perceived or is it real? So these are all questions that we can help each other to recognize that at the end of the day, we're all looking for safety. And so I think what Jules is saying there in many ways is that she wants to help her girlfriend really recognize that there's so much that we can pay attention to, but she's right there paying attention to some of it with her, but not doing it for her so that we can get into that later, you know, but that she gets to really show up together. I think the piece that's kind of key here, if I can just speak to it, is it kind of reminds me of COVID a little bit too, Mm. this one, Mm. and how that idea that there's some people who are going to be much more eager to get out there. And, but there's a sense that we have to take time to really pay attention to what's happening for us inside. What is it that I'm curious about? What is it that I'm, you know, have this preconceived story or notion narrative that's already in my head about what's dangerous and what isn't. And so I think in moments like that, what we're really looking for is the underlying need. And I'm sorry to be long-winded. I just will say one more thing. Oh, no, about no this is great. I teach this to a lot of my couples. It's kind of the kind of the key skill of couples counseling, but it's to recognize that when someone talks to you about what's frightening for them or anxiety provoking, whatever the case might be, it's not to talk about the thing itself. The content isn't the most important part, believe it or not. <laughs> we get caught up in it. We get into whole you know, tirades about something. But the point is, is if Jules can just give back to her girlfriend that recognition of saying, and how did that make you feel like, oh, you sound like you're really apprehensive around being in a group of bigger, a lot more people. And that's why it's similar to COVID is there's that recognition of, let's look at what's the feeling the context to what's happening. That actually gives us a whole lot more information. And we'll get her girlfriend to actually speak far more freely and far more openly about what's happening for her. And then they come up with a solution together because there isn't one solution to this. 
You know, before I reach over and grab a, a question here from the fishbowl, you know, we were talking kind of as we were setting up this call about you having these dating guidelines <laughs> for, for couples. I don't know if you wanted to kind of briefly go through those guidelines for people. Sure. You know, it's funny because I work with enough of this population to recognize that these are really key things. And a big part mm -hmm. of it is because you go from a place of who you think you were supposed to be to who you actually are and trying mm -hmm. to just live that life far more authentically. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that so true, Kyle? Oh, oh yeah. So 100%. True. And for the record, I find that normally happens for people between 28 and 32. Like there's something about that golden age of 30 that people really shift that awareness and start to recognize and have those honest conversations with themselves. The first rule in this is really that recognition that throughout your life, you're going to have to make some big decisions about like what are the values that you want to live your life by so that they don't get displaced by all the other stuff that gets in the way. There's so many ways we can go into working with that, but I'll just say it from a top level for everybody to know their values and to make some degree of a 10 commandments exercise for themselves about what do you need to be healthy and happy in a relationship? And there's some universals that will always show up in there. So I would love for you guys to even recognize what yours might be because they're going to be similar to others. So if you wanted to just take a moment, what's something that pops up in your mind says a 10 commandment, something you know you need today, two weeks from now, two years from now, 20 years from now, that would still maintain the health of yourself in a relationship. I honestly, I've been thinking about this as you as we've been talking here. I think I, I respond very well to like positive reinforcement. I don't do very well with negative reinforcement. So when I'm doing something well, or if someone you know loves me or something, I need them to keep telling me that or else I can start to make up stories in my head that that is not true. So I need that kind of like reiteration every so often like, okay, good. We're on the right track here. So it's almost like a course correction that you're saying, like they're helping you see your values Correct. are alive and you're accountable to them is what I would yeah. say to that. Yeah. I think for me, like as a communications person, I feel so much that words matter. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes partners can be so reckless with what they say to one another. I mean, I'm always shocked when I have girlfriends who are like incredibly cruel to their partners and then go on to be super nice to everybody else in their life. It's like somehow because we love that person, we take for granted that we can be reckless with our words. And so I think for me, I, I really appreciate a partner that has the respect to say, you know, for everything that I'm going to say to you and for everything that I would say to a partner to have it sort of pass through the doors of, is it helpful? Is it truthful? And is it kind? That would maybe be mine. And I, I think that communication is going to come up again and again in our conversation today. At least I hope it does, because it's kind of the mainstay of that. You know, the idea of what we say is what we believe you know, or we come mm. to believe it. And so I think I would totally want to just, again, honor from what you've said there, Jen, is how important it is that we say what we mean and we mean what we say. And ultimately that integrity piece would be a huge value in your jar. So knowing that that's at the macro level of why those exist in terms of why I wanted a rule for dating, now there's some ones that are just really quick and easy that kind of mm. fall from those. So one is, you know, and I just think this is kind of funny when it comes to dating profiles, I seem to have a lot of people who talk about, well, I want to do backcountry hiking or skiing, <laughs> but don't ever do it. And so one of my rules for people is, is one of the best ways for you to find love and to be the person that you want to be in a relationship is to find your tribe and to start doing those things that you want to put on your profile to say, this is who I am. And so it's that recognition that you're not allowed to put anything on there <laughs> that doesn't already fit into your context of happiness and, and, and again, integrity, as we were talking about. The second one is, or third one, I guess, or at this point, dating is experiential. And I just find that sometimes that tennis game that people play between like, I say something, you say something back comes with that big cloak. And we can talk about that in another way of mm -hmm. that's how mental health cloaks itself. You know, is that we want to say what the other person wants to hear as opposed to who we are. Because mm -hmm. there's something we learn very early on, like this is from infancy on, that I'm either safe or I'm myself. And another way to put this is I'm either authentic to who I am or I get to be attached to you. So this is why I say it's a human condition. Like this is huge. And if people can just pause for a moment, just recognize like this kind of breaks that whole tsunami of just like, wow, this is why it's so hard to be able to be honest and true about what I want and to be in relationship. 
so what I'm holding is just a way to do that quickly in dating is to not just do that coffee chat back and forth, but to actually do something together. Get your bodies moving in it, but also it's that recognition. If you're going for a walk, you'll see how that person responds to the person on the scooter who came by and got their attention really quick by coming up on them and surprising them, or how they respond to the dogs or the children in the park. You know, there's a recognition that we get a lot more information in real time, in real ways by actually doing something together. And that's going to be the basis of how I want people to build forward. Maria is tapping into what I have always believed about the television program, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, which is that you cannot get to know your forever partner by sitting on a bench with them in an evening gown. That show would be one episode if everybody just had to put together an Ikea dresser together. Right? We would just know right away the quality of the person. I like that reality show idea, though. <laughs> The sponsor's built right in. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so cool. Do you mind if I, I know we're taking time and I don't want to take too much, but I'll just go through the other ones quick. Yeah, of, yeah. Course, of course, because, of course. But I want to let you guys join in on so many of these because I feel like what you just said there about the Ikea episode, my gosh, like it's so <laughs> true. It's so true. <laughs> one really quick one for communication is that idea that for every question that somebody asks you, make sure you ask it in return. And the premise to that is they're asking you because it's something important to them. Right. And so many people just think that it's just this idea of like, oh, they're just asking and they're curious and off we go. And not recognizing that if I'm asking you about if you've ever had a big mental health issue you know, to, that you had to work through, or if your parent has been sick, or if whatever the case might be, like you're asking because you're looking for a gateway and opening to know how to gauge that safety and that vulnerability of what you have to say in return. And I think people just don't look at that, you know, honestly enough that people are asking because they actually need you to ask them. The amount of Tinder matches I have had where I have asked like eight questions and have never had a question asked mm. in response to me, it gets so frustrating. Like, ugh, I can't carry this conversation more if there's not that reciprocity coming back. Yeah, I, I agree with that totally. But I'm trying to think about like dates that I've been on and I try to think about the things that I've been bringing up. Mm. And I have been talking about like loss and I realize now that I am asking those questions because I'm looking for an opportunity to share my lived experience mm -hmm. and to see if there's resonance there. I don't think I was really self-aware as I should have been about the way my line of questioning is. I just thought maybe I was just being totally depressed on these dates, but okay. All right. That's okay. what makes it real. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And then the last one is also just a bit whimsical in this COVID time, but at the same time, it's it's long lasting for because for, it doesn't have to be anything big, but you choose a life partner like you choose a travel partner. <laughs> and the whole idea of that is you want to turn to the person beside you and say, oh my gosh, look at that, whatever that might be. And for some people, that might be the sunset. For some people, that might be like how sick that person just rode their, their uh, skateboard. There's something so important to recognize that in choosing a travel partner, you know how to get through uncertainties together. You know how you can react when you're hangry, you know, and that you can find a way to work together. And that's going to be a big part, I hope, in terms of any other question that you asked me about what people wrote in about, because a big piece of what people are looking for is, are you able to stay with me in this? And can we find a way through it together in our own special way? Again, there's no right or wrong way how your parents did it, how your neighbors do it totally is irrelevant. It's how you do it because that you and me equals us piece is really determined on how we figure this out together. I, I definitely want a partner who gets as excited as I do when I see a Cinnabon in the airport. So <laughs> please write in if that's yeah. you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here's another question. Lee writes into us and says, I've been surrounded by mental health issues all my life. And I know I'm dating a man with their own mental health struggles who needs to get professional help. Every time I bring it up, he freaks out. How do I get him help? <laughs> in quick consideration of of this one, there's kind of two questions that are asked there. So, you know, again, my therapist brain says, I'm curious about what Lee means by how she's surrounded by right. mental health her whole life and what role they've taken in that time. Um, in that recognition of, you know, are you feeling you're a fixer or a rescuer? Because there's a whole recognition around how, 
you see yourself in relation to somebody and the role you take is an interesting one to consider and how that must change, how we must meet people from a far more equitable way than just to recognize that there's there's an issue there and it's yours. The second thing is, I'm just really curious about this man, the age and culture and upbringing, because all of those things, there's a recognition of stigmatization still in counseling. And unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast. I am in this profession to do prevention and proactive ways of getting healthy people, healthy partnerships, healthy families, healthy communities. Like To me, that's exactly where I went into this profession. But then realized people don't come to talk to me about the prevention. They talk about when things go wrong. Mm. And so what I'm holding in that one is obviously Lee's partner really recognizes that there's some vulnerability at play here. That's really difficult to go into. And I'd want them to understand where does that come in. And so we can either focus on what's wrong or we can focus on what is in the future for this person? Like, what do they see for themselves? Like, what do they recognize? If they could change something, they could. Because then what we're talking about there is a recognition of self-improvement, self-actualization, if we want to go into that. But mostly it's just self-knowledge and self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that there's something that's just tripping up you know, from going from the one conversation about limitations to the one about what they can all benefit together. This type of question appeared more than once. This sense of, I'm in with a partner. I know that they need help. This help has exceeded the type of emotional support that I can provide as a, as a partner. And we heard it from people in new relationships and people in very seasoned long-term relationships. This sense of how do I get over the threshold to help this person help themselves? Uh, this hits really home to me. I've been in this late night, I call it a late night nightmare because it always seems to manifest itself at the, at the worst possible moment where you just, you're out of tools in your toolkit you know that some genuine professional help is going to make all the difference, but you just cannot seem to get that person there. I know that there's a lot of helplessness about that. Is there any more you can offer to our listeners to to help? I think what I'm hearing in that too is a yeah, like late night conversations like that. I, I know it sounds silly, but I often say the best conversations happen before 10 p.m. Because after 10 p.m., things start to digress and we go into a whole different way of connecting. And I'm not saying that it's not positive, but it's rarely productive. And so it's best to, to have some sleep on that. Where I go back to like people who are reticent to get the help that they need. I have had so many couples. And now this is part of our character, like how we understand ourselves. What you're kind of talking to, to some degree there, are there are people who themselves feel very self-reliant very independent, like I shouldn't need help or I I can figure this out on my own. So there's that level of what's happening for people. And in that regard, a big part of it is that they haven't been able to actually depend on the love and the support that's been offered to them. Like they don't actually believe that it will help them or that they've talked and talked to somebody at one point, you know, their school counselor or somebody and, and it just didn't help. So there's a recognition of that's where I'm just kind of saying the plug for all therapists, like we are doing the best we actually can to sit with somebody right where they are. Like we're not trying to get somebody to be anybody that they're not, but we're really recognizing that a big part is that they're having a hard time sitting with themselves. And so in doing so as a partner of somebody with that consideration, I would think that there's just so much curiosity and compassion that's required. And from that place, I've had it where people come into counseling where you talk about what's happening to you and the impact that's happening. And that person can witness that and to understand and hear what's happening for you as a partner. Or it could be that you go to some degree to having this conversation in a bigger way. And this is where doubles dating comes in for me. And I lived in West Africa for a few years. I know it sounds silly, but our sense of we don't have enough of that sense of community around us to, to safeguard ourselves. And there they have what, when they get married, something called godparents to the marriage, like where you actually, because they don't want tribal things to happen, that you think that all women from that village are going to think a certain way. There's a recognition that when we're double dating, like where you actually take your friends out to another friend's house, you get more information about talking to people about things because it's done in such an effortless way. Like, 
oh, what happened to you at work today? And then all of a sudden you hear more details than you ever heard before. And people talk about it far more openly. And especially if those friends are keen to the idea that there's some idea that this person doesn't feel very open and engaged around things. Sometimes by having a board game and having some of these conversations come up, it comes up really naturally how people have sought help and how people have family members who have gotten some great breakthroughs because they've done a retreat or they've done meditation or whatever the case might be. Obviously, being direct is key, but on the other part, it's letting them discuss with openness. Okay, Maria, Theo writes, let me be honest, I'm in a relationship and I want out. I'm done. I'm worried that when the relationship is over, he won't be okay. I'm guessing he is his partner, not himself and the third person. I've always taken care of him when he struggles. And I know I'm not happy, but I don't know how to leave. I think what we're seeing here is the question around trying to juggle mental health. It's coming at the cost of now his mental health to support this partner with mental health. Or maybe there's other issues there, but what advice would you offer Theo? I hate to be somebody who has to make this more complex than it is. (laughs) There's this is a question about boundaries to me, which is often a you know a question you know that needs asking within many of these conversations. Boundaries are at their essence is how do I love myself and you at the same time? How do we do that together? And what I hear in this is that they're not having a good sense of how to connect together in regards to what each other needs in terms of the bigger picture of how each other can relate to how they can take care of themselves and be in that partnership. What I think is so important to recognize here, and and I guess as a therapist, we're kind of listening for this, is that we'd never want to hurt another person. That's against our nature in our human capacity. But other people don't recognize always when they're hurting us. And then there's that level of harm on top of that. So there's something about this question that actually makes me think some degree of their connection could be to that degree of a far more, or I don't want to say the word abuse without using that recognition that they might be in a cycle together or a pattern of connecting, which is what we do in couples work all the time is we recognize what are the patterns at play because the patterns are the things that actually take over. They're the things that we're more preoccupied by than the partner themselves, the person. And so that's something that I would want to take a look at is sometimes it's the pattern that's abusive or it's the pattern that's causing harm. And we need to address that and get out of that. And in that regard, we're really talking about boundaries in terms of just saying, you are treating me in such a way that I'm losing sense of my own stability, which is what's going to happen in mental health to begin with, right? Like if someone's feeling down, it's a bit contagious that we do that mirror neuron thing and that we co-regulate to some degree to that place. But we can't have both people feeling like they're at that jeopardy or we're at the cost of one another. And this is where communication comes back in. So really briefly, I think what's so key here is when he says he started that out with saying something about honesty. And I thought, you know, whenever you hear somebody say something like that, you know that there's something really important in them that they have not said, that they actually have hesitated to talk about. And I have this little metaphor for resentment to consider it as something about how when you bite your tongue, when you don't speak your truth, you lay a brick of resentment between you and your partner. And over time, you're like, oh, that's a few more bricks. Like I can easily step over that. And eventually we jump over that, you know, but there's a recognition that the higher the wall goes, the more we bite our tongue and the higher the resentments build they're going to come to a place where we can't even see our partner and we can't do that co-regulation anymore. And we can't find that stability together. And so we knock those down. And that's what I'm guessing Theo's talking about with like, I'm worried that they won't be okay. Because when he finally speaks his truth, it's too much, you know, to the partner. Like there's that sense of, oh my God, like that's a huge eruption. Where are you coming from? I just asked you to pass the ketchup. You know, so there's this whole bigger piece that happens. And so then they're they're caught in this awful pattern of then really being indifferent to each other, not blaming each other, feeling like the other one's you know, at responsible for their lack of happiness. And so what we want to look at there is that recognition of how not to build more bricks uh, and how to start speaking those truths and to have that conversation. And again, in the presence of somebody who's maybe neutral to them would be helpful at times. Because what happens if we don't have those conversations is that we might knock down the wall one time, but then we start building those bricks again and we get smarter and we think, okay, I just won't build a wall. I'll just build all around me. Then there's, you know, I can spread those bricks around. 
But as you can only imagine from what I'm saying is that all those walls get up higher and higher. And all of a sudden, the thing that protects you from the pattern you know, that your partner and you are in ultimately imprisons you. And that's what I hear Theo saying is he's feeling imprisoned by that. And so for him to get out well, it's to start speaking his truth. I think you can get into these relationships and start to feel like I am the only person who can help this person. I mean, there's that old cliched thing. It takes a village, right, to raise a child. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing for a relationship in many ways where it's like it takes other people. Like we need to not just be about ourselves. It's other people as well. You know, it's amazing, Kyle. I took something totally different away from that answer for Maria. Like I I hear what you're saying, but for me, like I was in it to win it with the snowman, but I like this brick thing way more because I do (laughs) think when you're not being authentic, you're not speaking your truth, you are laying a brick. And, And Kyle, like you and I have had this conversation where I've said, I really like this person, but this relationship is over because I love them, but I love me more. You know, answering that question of, you know, how do I love myself and another person at the same time, I think is really at the heart of this, whether we're talking about mental health or something else. I, oh my God, I'm positively flippant about this, honestly. (laughs) Could I say something more than to that? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So it goes back to what you said, Kyle, like that's why those African villages have those, you know, established networks that you can go to and they're built in and people know you get to use them. And my husband, you know, poor guy, but you know, he had to have that in marrying me. Like he chose someone from his network and I chose some for mine and they do, they still check in with us after 16 years about those, you know, like, how are you guys doing really, you know, Mm. kind of thing. And we talk about the bigger issues and it's such a gift and it's so amazing. But what I want to address, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you're smart. It's so cool when it actually works and and people get over their fear of that, you know, like it, it actually is beautiful. The other part is what we're talking about here is we really do see mental health as somewhat of a limitation. Now, I just want to put this in there like when someone commits a crime, like if we think about it as forensics, there's that recognition that we need them to get better, to rehabilitate, to not do it again, right? Like that's what sorry means. So the whole point of this is that when somebody has mental health issues in our lives that we dearly love, but we can't obviously let the mental health take over, like that's that's become a separate entity in the boat that we're trying to float together. And it's going to make it very difficult to paddle and just to to maneuver and to know what to do. What I'm holding here that's really key is whether we're talking about mental health from something like a brain injury or stroke, you know, or just, you know, heredity and genetics, we cannot blame that person for their condition. Like they did not choose it upon themselves. They might have had things that happened in their lives that they weren't well versed for, or they didn't have support around them from parents and teachers and otherwise to know how to handle and they felt totally alone in. What I guess I'm holding here is we have to hold that person to a place of accountability, but not so much that recognition that we're going to leave them all on their own and say, that's up to you, bud. Like, you know, I'm out. The greatest gift that you can give to another person is taking care of yourself. So hopefully that's another one of those nuggets, Jen, that you will, you know, enjoy and and proclaim. Hold on to. Because it's so important that you know, taking care of yourself is key. And when somebody can't, let's not blame them. Let's not put them in jail and hope that they get better by punishing them. You know, like we're both at the cost. So how do we both make our way through this? And sometimes, yeah, we need to do that separately. Oftentimes we need to do that separately to be able to come back together. Yeah. I like that you've added that in because I think that, you know, we always want to give it everything we've got, but there is sometimes where you think we are stronger apart than we will be together. And to stop these bricks and to stop these patterns, maybe we just need to be apart. So I, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that you added that in because I do think there. I mean, I've certainly been in it where I'm just like, this is going to be like the Titanic, and I'm going to go down with it. I think. Kyle, what else you got from the fishbowl? I have uh, this question from Rashad, who writes: My girlfriend of eight years was in a serious accident and suffers from PTSD. Will it ever pass? Will we ever be normal again? And if so, I hope so. How do I help get back to normal? People I work with will laugh because I never use the word normal. So, <laughs> so first of all, we're talking about, you know, what's everybody's natural and everybody has a very different window of tolerance, we call it, where they're naturally more laissez-faire or naturally more anxiously inclined and going into that, you know, on top of PTSD, on top of it, something very difficult, you know, those things get inflamed and exacerbated. So I think a big part of what I'm hearing here is that we're really talking about 
what it is that would be our new normal or or our new way of naturally connecting together and how to help that. Trauma is a tricky one because it's the narrative is repeating itself over and over again. Like we believe that what happened to us, you know, there's this neuro connection that happens that we start to establish old roots that take hold that aren't necessarily true. So one of the things that I would have people recognize in terms of this is that helping someone in this is all about slowing down. Like the emergency isn't actually happening right now. You know, there's nothing urgent in that moment of if they're pouring milk into, you know, the planter, you know, because they just had a lapse of judgment in that moment. You know, like there's a recognition that our pace with people is so critical. And so how we speak about things is as important as what we say. And so that tone of voice and that inflection of support and love is a piece of how we go about this. But there's on top of that, that recognition that we have to also see that we're looking to preserve the relationship. So what's more important in this moment? You know, is it trying to teach them something that their brains clearly are having a hard time taking on as a new reality? Or is it about just letting them know that they're safe and supported? And a big piece about safety is about that you're curious about what's happening. Like, how did that how does that feel to you? How does that make sense? So that's a big piece. But what you also said about Rashad's recognition of himself is that there's huge grief and loss that comes with PTSD. He's in himself a forgotten injured. Like he might not have the actual injury, invisible or visible, but that there's a whole impact that happens to that partner. And so again, there's that recognition of how open we have to be to what that looks like and how to get that support. And PTSD in particular would be a, a case where people need to have their individual supports as well as their communal common supports. And whether that that's you know going to their families separately and having that ability to take care of themselves first, to come back together, people to help them in that relationship. Like you can ask people to do things for you because ultimately people want to be of service. But to think that you're all by yourselves doing it alone, that's that's what's causing the injury. To repeat itself over and over again. Thank you, Rashad, for submitting that question. Connor also submitted a question, and his question reads as follows My girlfriend, Shaylin, and I are getting pretty serious, and we've been together a long time, and I know she really wants to get married. Oh boy. She's had a hard time with body issues, eating disorders, scary diets, and cutting, and she can be pretty destructive to herself. I'm worried that the way she thinks will be passed on to our kids and it seriously scares me. Could this happen? Wow. Yeah. So Connor brings up something really important, which are those pieces of how important it is to address these things before the future. You know, you know, we we in our brains go to precedent setting, you know, so it's not going to be that his girlfriend is going to be this way as his wife forever. Like there's work that can be done there, but so wise that he already recognizes what's happening between the two of them and with her relationship with herself. I do believe that it can and it would. I mean, that's the hard part about this is where we recognize that people's limitations or, or preconceived notions of how they see themselves do carry on. And so them doing that recognition of how this makes sense to them today what are the exceptions though, right? Like when we focus so much on the issue at hand and whether we're talking about it from addictions or eating disorders, a big part of that is because there isn't that balance of recognizing how to deal with anger, how to deal with those unmet emotions. There's a lot of pieces to that. And so that's obviously the thing that they're going to need to work on the most separately and together is how to create a validating family couple environment where these conversations are brought up, how he can correct some of those insecurities or or just full out just things that are not healthy, just to recognize that they need to have a recognition that he isn't going to tolerate what that looks like in his own family and wants to support how that looks. I think something that I've, I've really been thinking about when you've been answering all these questions and oh my goodness, haven't you done a good job? is this idea of when does tough love come in? So like I'm a child of, of tough love. I wasn't really met with a lot of like, oh, it's going to be okay. It was met with a lot of, you do this, you bring some shame to our family and I'm not, we're not going to tolerate this. So self-correct. And, and I, I think that that's spoken a great amount to my self-efficacy as an adult. 
where does a little bit of tough love come in here? Like, is it realistic for Connor to say to his girlfriend, I cannot look at being in a marriage with you or, or marrying you or getting engaged or whatever, wherever they're at in their relationship until these issues are maybe not dealt with, but addressed in a meaningful way. As comes up with many types of dysfunction, if we want to call it that, comes in, absolutely, there is a recognition that we need to have our sense of ourselves and what we can handle and what we want to. And how to help that person is not by letting them create the dysfunction over and over again. And like you say, there's a generational trauma that can happen in all of that. So yes, I, I wouldn't call it tough love. The thing that we're kind of looking at here is a recognition of Connor's needing to recognize between rigidity on one side, you know, of just like, this is it, that's all I'm going to tolerate from you. And the chaos of being pulled into, you know, the the dysfunction, whatever that looks like. There's this place in the middle that, that we're trying to negotiate and balance. And that's the hardest piece because it ultimately says what we're doing here is always taking turns, you know, to some degree, trying to figure out what it means to both of us to be in this together. Future expectations are going to be some of his own anxiety, let alone hers. Like there is no doubt about that. And so addressing it in the present moment is kind of key. And so that's where we wouldn't say, that's it, you have to do this or else, but rather from a place of meaningful recognition, dialogue, action, you know, that gets us moving forward. Is there ever a time in any situation where an ultimatum is warranted? Ultimatums are one of those things that once you say them, they have to be followed through, which is why I would venture to say that people have to be very careful about what they say in those respects, because that's where if you don't follow through, that's what creates more disruption in that relationship moving forward mm -hmm. is, okay, then I can allow you to do that this one time. And, and then that's where we create inconsistency and people don't know what to trust in one another. And trust is very much about love and respect in unison. I took a negotiation course through the United Nations, ironically, totally not about relationships, but they talked about what's called stop talk. And they said, like, once you issue a stop talk type statement, you absolutely have to follow through or there are no more rules of engagement because you said this is a, a deal breaker and then you haven't followed through with it. So I, oh my goodness, I'm thinking about stop talk so much now. <laughs> I think the recurring theme here too, and this is also something that Jen and I have discussed a few times, which is how much of this is like, well, have you talked about this? Have you communicated this? Have you had that open dialogue right? with the person? Because sometimes we put it unto ourselves like, oh, like I'm just like fretting or or obsessing over this one aspect, but you actually have not included the other person into that conversation and allowing yourself to be like, sometimes you also need support so that you can be a good support person to your partner. Yeah. And that that girlfriend or fiance is, you know, she's not just that, right? Like there's a whole person around that, that he's yeah. loving and, and wanting to be part of that world together. And then that one preoccupation is what, you know, creates the issue. And so we have to talk about the relationship that they have with each other and with that problem. I feel like you have dropped so many different quotes that I want to put onto t-shirts. <laughs> I totally <laughs> I, right. I just walk around. But thank you so much for your uh, care, attention, and, and your advice that you've given here to us and to our audience here today. Is there a place online that people can find out more information about you or or what you're up to? Oh, sure. Um, I do have a practice. It's online right now. Mm -hmm. We'll be back in office when it's safe to do so. So my website is mariaschmid.ca. So M-A-R-I-A-S-C-H-M-I-D, no T, dot C-A. And you'll find me there, but you'll also find two other of my colleagues that I work closely with mm -hmm. who have their own focuses, you know, in terms of doing this work and how they relate to trauma and everything like that, you know, working with children, you know, so Trisha's really good with that. And Chantel's our clinical, she does the assessments and she does a lot of that complex trauma piece. The other thing that I haven't mentioned yet is Pam is our nutritional consultant and so much of mental health stuff actually is like, why aren't you sleeping well? And does that have to do with something else that's going on physiologically? You know, mm -hmm. and so there's a recognition that that's another big piece of how this all looks together is that there's a gut brain access and we're getting to know more and more about it all the time. And so, yeah, I would hope that people take a look at what's available for them in around Calgary and just talking to people gets them to know how much more we can make this conversation, one that people are eager to have as opposed to hiding. 
Amazing. This is so great. Thank you so much. Will you come back <laughs> and spend some more time with us if we get stuck again? As long as my rambles are are appreciated by your audience, I'm sorry if I over-talked, but it would be my pleasure to impart some of this. And I've often been told I should be a Hallmark card writer. <laughs> yes. Yes. We loved, we loved it. Thanks so much for being with us. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Oh, that was so good. That was so good. I have all these little like notes. Look at my notes. My God, Kyle, I'm trying to kind of hold it together here, yeah, but yeah. there was a lot, there's a lot of things that really hit home for me. How, how do you feel? I'm not joking. I have like this whole notepad of like little phrases that Maria said throughout that entire conversation that I think more people should know. What connected with you the most? Honestly, the one that is jumping to mind right now is the you can't love someone without knowing that there's loss involved. I think that was such a profound thing. And I wasn't expecting that to happen in our conversation here tonight. But uh, yeah, it really rocked me once you said that. I mean, like, you're you're right. Love and loss are so intertwined with one another that, of course, you have to be upfront with that when, you know, starting a relationship. Yeah, I, I for me, it was when she said, you know, we have to ask the question, how do we love ourselves like, how do I love myself and love you at the same time? And that whole thing about the bricks, mm -hmm. like when you do not speak the truth, you're putting up a brick. And in the beginning, like some of the bricks seem manageable. And then pretty soon the thing that is meant to bring you out into the open or meant to shield you just suffocates you. Yeah, I just yeah, thought, yeah. oh my goodness, I've watched those bricks build for myself and just been unable to figure out what to do with them. I, that totally, totally was like a gut punch for me. Yeah, I agree. I am convinced that this is going to be a really beneficial episode for people to have listened to. Yeah. And I think if you're listening and you feel like this was meaningful to you, but you have more questions, I think the important thing is to say that, like Kyle said at the top of the show, we're all we're all facing this. We all have an element of this and, you know, get help, reach out, talk about it. If it's not with a professional, you know, build a community around you. I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing. This was a serious topic. Whoa. <laughs> but, is, so what are we going to talk about? What do you want to talk about next week? Why don't we get into something maybe just as profound, which is fetishes? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. It, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking right. about next week. So please do visit our website, somebodydatejenandkyle.com. And you can submit your questions to the fishbowl. You can answer the question of the week. You can reach out to us directly. We certainly want to hear from you. And where else can they find us on social? You can hit us up on Twitter, which we're at somebody date, or you can go to our Facebook page, which is at somebody date JK. We'll see you next week. Good luck out there. Bye. Bye.